certainly is good to be with all of you today. And we have a great privilege of worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And as always is the case, I do consider it to be an honor to speak from the Word of God. And I hope that we have things that would be edifying and encouraging to you. As you can see on the screen, our text is, our title is, Do Not Avenge Yourselves. And in just a minute, I'm going to tell you why I decided to preach on these passages. But we're going to talk about what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. And we're also going to notice what Paul said there in Romans chapter 12 and verses 19 through 21. So as we begin in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 26. Paul said, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. You know, in understanding this concept about be angry and sin not, or do not sin, we know that that's possible because we know that the Lord Jesus Christ was angry, and there were times that he was angry, but Jesus had no sin. There was no guile found in his mouth. He did nothing wrong in his life. So understanding what angry really means will give us a better understanding of how we can be angry and sin not. What Paul is talking about is this. The word angry there means this. It means from, according to Mr. Strong, it is anger that's provoked by something. It is not a disposition of the heart. I got to tell you, in my lifetime, I thought, you know what? As long as I'm angry, it's fine as long as I don't do something outwardly that would be considered a sin. I was wrong in that. It is true when we do outward things that are sinful, we sin. That's true. But that's not what he's talking about here exclusively. What he's saying is this. Anger that is produced by something in itself is not wrong. Let's talk about two cases where Jesus was angry. We know that when Jesus looked at those that were the money changers, he went and he overturned those tables. He was angry. He said, you've made the house of God, my father's house, a den of thieves. And he was angry. He did not sin. He was angry about a circumstance or it was provoked by their action. Here's another one. Do you remember in John chapter 11? In John chapter 11, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. When he arrived on the scene, he sees Mary and Martha, dear friends of his, personal friends, who were dying or were weeping and mourning over the passing of their brother, Lazarus, who was also the Lord's friend. And the Bible says that Jesus looked on that and he saw them weeping. And then it says, and the Jews also weeping. And here was the Lord's response. It says he groaned in his spirit. And he was troubled. What does that mean? The word groan there in its origins or in the original language literally means to be filled with indignation to be angry. Now why would the Lord be angry when he saw Jews weeping? Here's the point. They were professional mourners. and It was all because of the Jewish customs of the day. The Mishnah required, by the way, required that if a relative died, you had to mourn for seven days. In addition to that, if it was a public figure or some ruler of the public, that person needed to be mourned seven days publicly and 30 more days privately. So Jesus comes on the scene. He sees their hypocrisy. He is angry, but he didn't sin. 
That was anger that was produced by something and not a disposition of his heart. Now, here's the reason for the lesson. And I think to be effective, sometimes as a preacher or a teacher, you not only have to be able to relate to people, but people need to be able to relate to you. So that's the reason I share this little example. It's a personal example and the lesson that I learned recently. A couple of months ago, there's an 18-year-old boy that lives across the street. And he came into my house, and he took my keys to my truck off of the kitchen counter, and he stole my truck. And he drove it 200 miles. He didn't have a driver's license. He drove it 200 miles, and I don't know what he hit, but he caused $4,500 damage to my truck. I can't even begin to tell you how angry I was. I was very, very angry. But here's the problem. I was angry at the circumstance, or I was angry at the provocation of what happened, but it went too far. It changed the disposition of my heart. I didn't misbehave. I didn't use bad language. I didn't do anything outwardly for people to see that I sinned. Didn't do any of that. But I'm going to tell you, there's only one other time that I can remember in 20 years I was that angry. And I had to do the same thing back then, too. You know what I had to do? I had to talk to God. And you know what? I needed two things from God, and I asked God for two things. Number one, I asked for his forgiveness. And number two, I asked for his help. Why? Because the disposition of my heart was changed. I had sinned in my heart because I was that angry. So what is he talking about when he says, don't be angry or be angry and sin not? Don't become angry. This is what it means. That it causes you to sin. And then he says, and don't let the sun go down on your wrath. It is so important that we don't go to bed angry at the things in which stirred us up during the day. I think really the best way that I thought when I read this passage this week, I thought of this. If I go to bed with a wrathful heart, chances are I'm going to wake up with a wrathful heart. And when I wake up for, with a wrathful heart, I've allowed whatever it was that made me angry to, to, to simmer inside and boil over, which cause, causes misbehavior. Yeah. And here's something else, too. Don't give place to the devil. You know what that means? One translation says it like this. Don't give the devil the advantage. Now, put it this way. If the devil can work on our emotions... And we can be stirred up. And he can keep it going inside. He has an advantage of us in our life. And there's something else too. Have you ever stopped to consider that the devil tempts us also in anger through persuading us to justify an unchristian-like response? Something happened and we responded in an unchristian way, but we justify it because after all, I was angry this happened. That's the temptations of the devil, too, anytime that we have an unchristian-like response. So, what are we to do? What are we to do? According to Romans chapter 12, this is what we're supposed to do. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. So in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said, don't give place to the devil or don't give him an advantage, but in Romans chapter 12... It says, give place to wrath. What does that mean? What it's talking about is, it's talking about give 
the job of vengeance to God. As it says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And by the way, we're going to deal with these things later on in our lesson at the very end. But in this case, we're going to talk about this. Don't avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. In other words, give it to God. That's his job. That's God's job. Punishment of evildoers is God's prerogative. It is not ours. One scholar wrote this, and I quote, To give place to wrath is to make a way for the wrath of God, which alone is just and alone deserves to be called wrath. Sometimes people say, you know, they try to talk about what God will do if, in this case or what God's going to say about this or what God feels about that. All I know is this. If it's God's choice and God does it, it will always be just. It will always be right. What we can't have is we can't have the mentality or the idea in our heart that we want somebody to get the revenge from God or the horrible things of the wrath of God. We can't have that motive. If we do that, we change the disposition of our heart and we sin. But let's talk about enemies for just a moment. I think enemies come in all different shapes and sizes. In our country, we really have it well in terms of people physically doing things to us by way of some of the persecutions that happen in other countries, perhaps. But I do know that enemies come in different shapes and sizes. We could have physical enemies of people that want to take our life. There could be enemies in the business world who want to destroy our way of earning a living, maybe. There's enemies even within families when close bonds have been severed due to falling out. And there's also spiritual enemies who teach different doctrines and change the gospel. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, beginning there. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and would want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Christians, it's a guarantee we're going to have enemies. But I'm very encouraged, though, by the words of John 15. This is the words of Jesus. Remember the word that I said to you. Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he tells them, Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus was giving them encouraging words that when people persecute you, just remember, you're not greater than your master. If they persecuted Jesus, the master, they're going to persecute you, the disciples. If they hear the words of the master, then they'll hear the words of the disciples. So that was talking to the disciples, but I think that applies today too to the followers of Jesus Christ, to Christians. And the servant need not to expect better treatment than what the master got. If they persecuted him, they will also persecute you. Now, I want to kind of add one thing to this. Sometimes we take it personally when people reject the gospel. When you take the gospel to somebody and you study with them, and, so, and then they reject it. Sometimes we take that personally. But remember, the Lord said, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And you know, sometimes too, as we look in our building, 
the size of this building. How many times have we said in the church, if everybody that had left would just come back, we wouldn't have a building big enough to seat everyone. We'd have to build a bigger building, right? And sometimes when somebody leaves, we take that personally as if they left us. Just remember, they didn't leave us. They left the Lord. And if they're going to depart from the Lord, it's the Lord. And it's not us. So you can't take that personally. If they leave the Lord, they're going to leave us. Why should we have it any different? Why should we have it any better? But the problem is when you talk about enemies. I think the greatest test of a Christian when you talk about enemies is not how he treats his friends, but how he treats his enemies. As humans, we are wronged oftentimes, and we tend to want to lash out in response to that wrong and defend ourselves, and that's what vengeance is. Vengeance is the demanding attitude that what was done to me ought also to be done to my enemy. Christians, though, are directed not to harbor those thoughts in their, I'm going to use a phrase here, in their sanctified bodies. Now, I preached on sanctification a while back. And I said you can Google the word sanctification from a religious perspective and it will give you, I think there were five or six different religious positions on sanctification. And sanctification is a very popular word in the religious world. And all of those positions, though, by the way, are unscriptural. And I'm going to sum it up what it is in just a minute. But all of those ideas are unscriptural, one of which is this. That when a saved person, sometime in their life, is growing and becomes holy, that is called being sanctified, because sanctified comes from two Latin words, and it means to make holy. So people take that out of context, and they think this. I am so holy by the direct operation of the Holy Spirit that happens in my Christian life that I actually get to the point where I cannot commit a sin. That's one of the positions on sanctification, because of the Latin phrase, to make holy. However, the Greek word though for sanctification literally means separation to God. If you put it together, all it is, is to set apart to God to be used by Him and for Him. Who's that? That's a Christian. That's you. That's me. We are set apart. And once we obey the, obey the gospel and become a child of God, we are sanctified and therefore made holy in God's eyes in our obedience and we are his for our life. When we do that, we got to act like this. Don't avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. You know, our Lord Jesus Christ gave us the quintessential example of this very attitude in his life. And how the Lord acted toward his enemies really should spur us on as he is our example and our pattern. Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. So let me just ask, when pursued by our enemies, how do we respond? Do we avenge ourselves, or do we give place under wrath and let God take care of that? Do we revile 
or revile not? Do we threaten or threaten not? Do we seek to render our own verdict or do we commit ourselves to the righteous judge? Do we try to overcome evil with evil or do we overcome evil with good? That the truth of the whole matter is this, that through our sins, we placed ourselves at enmity with God. And God, in all of his righteous might, had every right to take vengeance on us, but he didn't do it. He didn't do that. He chose to give us a way whereby we could be reconciled to him. And what we could not do for ourselves, God did through his son, listen now, while we were enemies. Don't let that just float by while we were enemies. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, we were his, if when we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Folks, those that are our enemies, they deserve our mercy and love. Not because they're enemies. And not because they deserve it, but because that's how God looked upon us when we were his enemies. So, finally, in conclusion, we're going to look at our two passages again. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. And angry is that which is provoked by something and not a disposition of the heart. When we change the disposition of our heart, we sin. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Put it away. Get rid of it. Unload it. Unload that burden. And don't give the devil an advantage in our life. What else are we going to do? In Romans chapter 12, we're going to do this. We're going to give place to wrath. We're going to give it to God. But I want to just talk about this. What about the rest of this? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'm going to tell you, we need in our society, we need a lot of people doing good. What people do, though, is they want to retaliate and fight back and have all kinds of stuff going on, all that. Overcome evil with good. Have you ever stopped to consider that when you overcome evil with evil, you become just as evil? You're just as guilty, just as guilty. To overcome evil with evil is to live according to the rule, might makes right. Oh, and that's all around us, isn't it? When we do that, though, we become evil ourselves, rather than following the golden rule. You know, the golden rule, if you ask somebody in the world, what's the golden rule? They will say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But the golden rule was found by Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, and his words were these. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. We live by that, the golden rule, not the might makes right 
rule. So, instead, a Christian does the following when we don't act in an ugly manner, overcoming evil with evil. We conquer evil by three things. Number one, by resisting the urge to retaliate. It's hard. We conquer evil by refraining from seeking vengeance. That's hard too. And we conquer evil by actively doing good to our enemies. Now, this right here, you will heap coals of fire on his head. What an amazing thing, and we're going to end with that. But what, what it's not, what that doesn't mean is this. Okay, I'm really angry. He's done some bad stuff. I really want revenge. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to be nice to him so it really gets him. It pours coals of fire on his head. It really gets to him. That's not the mindset. And I'm just going to read and put it on the screen what Whiteside said about this. And it's a direct quote. I think it's the best I've heard on that, this quote here of um, coals of fire. Whiteside said this. Instead of taking personal vengeance on an enemy, give him food and drink as his needs may require. If there's any degree of manhood in him, this course will fill him with shame and remorse. Figuratively, it will heap coals of fire on his head and may entirely melt down his enmity. If it does not do this, it will make him feel uncomfortable in that he has no evil he can say about you. Powerful words and so true. So, if we have anger in our life, Produced by something, circumstances, or an event, whatever it is. Make sure we don't allow that to cause us to change the disposition of our heart and sin. Don't let sin go down upon your wrath. Get rid of it. Don't give the devil an advantage. And when it comes to our life, don't avenge ourselves. Give it to God. He'll take care of it. And we will never have to worry about that. He'll take care of it however he decides. And it will be just and it will be right. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.